With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Ah, we have sort of a problem here. Yeah, you apparently didn't put one of the new cover sheets on your TPS report. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry about that. I, I forgot. Mm, yeah. All right, welcome in, everybody. It's always soccer in Philadelphia on a Wednesday afternoon. I am back from vacation. And uh, when I say vacation, I mean that, you know, we just took our two kids to a different location. There's not really a vacation when you have uh, two little kids. You just take them to a different area and uh, try to survive and enjoy yourself. You know, we'll call it a getaway. There we don't, go. Call it, don't call it a vacation. Call it a getaway. <laughs> you may have heard somebody uh, uh chime in there and he's nodding along on video that you can't see but it's uh somebody who can relate to that i'm sure is a former philadelphia union defender you see him on the broadcast now you watched him play back in the day it's shane and williams joining the show how are you man good man thanks for having me yeah no problem i saw you laughing there because you got little kids too yeah yeah i have daughters so i know it all too well and usually it's mostly a staycation where you just go somewhere usually <laughs> park or somewhere yeah it's <laughs> sick you just kind of pass the kids back it's great when you think about it because you're like oh man we're going to florida you know, this is gonna be great and then uh you think oh wait you know we don't have the, the nanny anymore and we got to watch the kids the whole day you know florida is a chore of the kids yeah yeah especially when we uh <clears throat> when your plane gets delayed six hours and you're sitting on uh <laughs> sitting at the philly airport for six hours but that that's another story for uh for for another time um so listen, man, it, it's good to have you on. You know, <clears throat> we like to try to get all the former players on if we can. And uh, you've been active with, with the broadcast and, uh, you know, appearing on, my, uh, on PHL 17 and um, you're still active and you're in the area. So um, just give us the update, man. What are, you, what are you up to right now? And, and, and how did you get involved in the broadcast? And do you like doing TV? Yeah. Uh, so right now I'm currently coaching. Uh, ended up just getting my B license. So starting to get uh, that journey moving along and and really enjoying that. Uh, and then the broadcasting thing with the union kind of came about. Uh, Seba actually got a real vacation because he doesn't have any kids yet. So uh, <laughs> looking for guys that were still in the area. Um, and I just happened to be in the area. So they, they asked me if I'd be interested in it. And I was I, I thought I'd give it a shot and see see if I enjoyed it. And it's it's been it's been fun so far. What do you like about it? What do you not like about it? I mean, is there a challenge? Was there a learning curve to doing that? Had you had you done any any kind of TV radio before that? Definitely no prior stuff that I had done. Um, I would definitely say that I was pretty nervous the first time I did it. Uh, so that was kind of weird, feeling all those nerves for just having to go and, and kind of speak on, on TV, which is something that I've done before uh, yeah. and, and whatnot. So. I kind of just thought of it as an interview um, from that point on. And, you know, with, with each time that I've done it, I feel more comfortable in doing it. And um, for me, it, it's really cool to see the other side of, of, of the game, which is the broadcasting and, and that part of, of, of sports, because it's, it's a huge part. It's a big part of how 
these teams make money and and things like that. So uh, it's interesting to see how much uh, goes into the process and how much time and, and effort these guys put into to putting on those shows uh, that go out uh, with with the games each week. Yeah, it's great to see you guys on because uh, a lot of the the union OG like original guys have come back around or maybe maybe like are hitting retirement of you know age right now you know they're in their mid 30s or or in their 40s or something like that so it's nice to see sebastian on there it's nice to see you on you on there as well i joke with my wife because every time i hear sebastian talk i feel like his english gets worse the long (laughs) the longer he lives in the united states because i feel like he talks faster and faster i feel like his english was better uh when we were interviewing him 10 years ago versus uh versus on tv but you know if you pay attention very closely you can understand it you know yeah so for me like just being around him in the locker room you kind of it's like when your kid is like three years old and they're spitting out gibberish and you perfectly understand it and <laughs> how do you know what they're saying you're like oh i just know so like that's where i'm at with seba um, yeah i don't know maybe he needs to watch more tv or or do something <laughs> But like he does such a good job of of uh, studying and and putting down details and really taking his time to to get the details right. So um, I definitely give him kudos for that. And I and this is the thing about Seba. He is very aware of his English and he's <laughs> like ah, terrible and I have to get better. And, so you know, it's something that I'm sure he's working on and. It's it's nice to see him kind of work through it because English is definitely not, I'm sure, uh, an easy language to learn. Um, For sure. What- yeah, listen, and I, I don't I don't mean to make, to make this a Sebastian pile on. I think he would laugh actually if uh, about about this. But I have a quick story to share. I don't know if I've ever told anybody this, but back in the day when it was the original group of union writers, like it was me and it was Matt DeGeorge and Tannen Walden. Seitlin and all those guys we you know we'd go down in the locker room after a game and Sebastian was always like really affable you know he'd, he'd talk you know any any time you needed a quote or something like that but we'd bring the quote back and then we kind of take turns transcribing the quotes from him you know we'd be like Dave transcribed Sebastian last week okay now it's Kevin's turn or it's Matt's turn or whatever but but um I think it says a lot honestly like to because because you guys like don't have an have like a background in that you know I think for any athlete who comes into broadcasting after their playing days, you know, talking about the game and understanding the game, having played the game at a high level, that comes very naturally. I think the change is just trying to be, oh, oh shit, I'm in front of a camera now, or like, you know, how do, what do I do with my hands? You know, you know, what do I, what, <clears throat> what do I wear? You know, things like that, which are kind of like the, the forgotten kind of part of it. But, you know, you guys all have the knowledge. So it's probably just a learning curve and just getting used to the broadcasting itself. Yeah. 100%. I think for me, my first game that I did it, I had a, a hard time focusing in on, you know, the things that are, that they're saying in your earpiece, uh, the crowd noise, uh, the speakers that are going on before the game and, and, yeah. and the music and stuff. And just really trying to focus on listening to somebody talk to you while trying to relay a point on TV. So like the first, <laughs> like, wow, this is really a lot. And then, like I said, you know, with each time you get more comfortable, you know, after doing it once, you kind of know, how it's going to work and how things are going to go. So it's definitely been fun to do it. Um, I even just spoke with uh, Jordan Harvey, who's actually doing it out in LA a little bit. Oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah. There's a couple guys getting into it. So it's been cool to kind of get to chat with some guys um, that are thinking about doing it and that are, you know, now getting into it as well. Um, you know, and I'm still pretty new to it. So Seb has definitely helped me yeah. a lot and just knowing like the little nuances of things. And I think that's definitely been a, a big help uh, as, you know, um, you know, for, for a good, a good amount of time. 
Yeah, Jordan's doing it. Marisa Dew's doing it. Charlie's doing it. Um, you know, even all the the color commentators who did the union local broadcast all went national. Twelman, Martino. I mean, like yeah. it's like a crazy long. There's a good story to be written there about like how the union ended up becoming this like like broadcasting factory. One hundred percent. Because yeah. I remember Martino, and then I remember Taylor Twelman, and then you know JP's been such a legend for such a long time. So yeah. you know that goes without saying. But they've always done a good job of of getting somebody that that's important. Now they have Danny Higginbottom that, that, that does, you know, the, the stuff with EPL. So like I said, you know, there, there's a lot that goes into that side of things that, you know, people don't get to see. Um, and it's been cool to kind of see the process and how things get done uh, from a day-to-day standpoint uh, on the TV side. Um, let's talk about the team itself a little bit. We don't have to get too crazy into like the individual details here because the games are still fresh. One of them was at 11 o'clock at night on a weekend, and the other one was on ESPN Plus last night. So they lose 2-1 to Orlando. They get a 2-2 draw out at LAFC. They get a 1-1 at Nashville. They get a 1-1 versus Montreal at home. Uh, 2-1 loss at Toronto. And, uh, you know, it's funny, man, because I I, um, I sense like a lot of weird I, I kind of like Negadelphia on Twitter, Facebook, other other places today, and I, those those places aren't necessarily the greatest source of information or for how people are feeling. But I, I'm going to take like the opposite stance. I don't I don't feel disappointed or Negadelphia about any of that at all. You know, I think what people are saying is, you know, they're coming up with something like, oh, it's five games in a row that they haven't won now. You know, when you look at the further context for these games, like okay, they had the two one loss at Toronto, the red card that should have been called that was that the disciplinary Absolutely. committee came back and said that should have been a red. 1-1 versus Montreal at home. Maybe you want more out of that for sure. 1-1 at Nashville. You got a tough team. It was a playoff team last year playing their first game in their new yep. home stadium. The, the atmosphere is crazy. 2-2 at LAFC. You know you'll take a point anytime you go on the West Coast. And then 2-1 in the Open Cup. I, I don't – personally, I don't really care too much about the Open Cup this year because I think they're an MLS Cup contender. So, like, it, it's not, like, super important to me, that that competition as well, if you're if you're – you know, going to uh, be competitive in the main competition. So I don't know. Are you, are you with me? It seemed like it was just a little like oddly negative for some reason. Yeah. Um, what people have to understand is that this is such a long season and they are picking up points, not only at home, but also on the road, which is extremely hard to do. Like we said, the game was at 11 o'clock. <clears throat> it feels like 11 o'clock to those players. Those players are only there in LA for a couple of days. So to get used to the time change, yeah, you're going to be awakened up for the game, but it's still an 11 o'clock game in your in your own, you know, uh, nervous system there. So they've done a great job of picking up points. Uh, I'm sure that there's been some disappointment. Uh, they have one loss right now, which is Toronto. And like you like you mentioned, it should have been a red card and they probably should have won that game. Yeah. So they for me, they need to focus on m- making sure that they definitely pick up points at home. Um, I think that that's really important when you go through the season. And then any p- points that you pick up on the road are, are huge points. Um, it's just so hard to win on the road. Uh, there's been some great, you know, new additions to of teams with with great new stadiums that are that are completely packed and, and are tough places to play. So um, and as you go into the summer, you're going to hit different climates and, and, and all that stuff. So they've put a, a good start to the season together that that helps them, you know, really go through the season now uh, in a good place. It's definitely, you know, I've been on the other side of it where you're chasing the whole time and it's definitely, it's nice to be in the driver's seat. And let's be realistic here, Shane. And like, <clears throat> I look at the Eastern conference table, they're at the very top. You know, I go back and look at the four games they played prior to the ones that I just mentioned. And they had like four 
straight wins or five straight wins or whatever. They had like four straight clean sheets. Like let's not, let's, let's just like back yeah. it up here a second and think like, okay, they're not, they weren't going to like go the rest of the season without conceding a goal. Like let's at least like temper our expectations. It feels to me, and this, this is a good problem to have, honestly, because I think people know that this is a damn good team now and they got players and they got chances. And so they expect more of them. And that's natural with anything in sports. I just think sometimes we fall into this trap and this is like a, a typical Philadelphia Eagles kind of thing. You know, it's like, they're not supposed to do shit at the beginning of the year, but they start out like three and O right. Yeah. And now all of a sudden people are calling 94 WIP saying, Hey, I think Super Bowl. you know, but you got to like, at least like temper the expectations to say like, look, it's still may, it's a long season. Like they weren't going to keep a clean, they, they weren't going to go 10 more clean sheets in a row. So like, in a way I appreciate union fans for, for expecting more and having those high expectations, but we just got to like temper it a little bit, you know? Yeah. Not to mention, it's still a really young season. Like they're still not even playing at their best. Um, there's still probably more to come from them as they grow into the season and, and get more comfortable with each other. Uh, they're not trying to fit in pieces with, with Ua now coming back to, to full strength and, and getting other guys healthy. Um, so they're in a good spot. They definitely put themselves in a good spot. Uh, you still haven't even seen much of the young guys yet that, that are still, you know, you know, I'm sure hungry to, to get minutes and to get games. So they've done a good job of, of rounding out their roster and making sure that they have depth in, in every position, um, which is not something that's, that's very easy to do in MLS. Uh, you see a lot of teams that are, that are really top-heavy, but as you start to go through the season and you start to pick up injuries and, and suspensions and stuff like that, it becomes really important about the, the rounded-out rosters, and those are the, those are the teams that, that normally go far. You know, during your career, you played for all three coaches who have coached the union. You played in a variety of different systems. You played for Peter. You played for Hack. You played for Jim. Uh, you played empty bucket, 4-2-2-2. Two, two, two. You played 4-2-3. I mean, you, you've kind of experienced it all at your different stops, too. And, you know, I'm, I'm curious as what you make of the union carving out, like, in this this understandable identity, this diamond shape. Like, they want to press. They want to promote young kids through the academy. It just seems like the, the philosophically – they're very buttoned up and they've been more organized than they, than they ever are. And I'm just curious as to what you make of the whole transition from, from no sporting director really to Ernie to Ernst and just kind of like this, this, like this team, like in this franchise has an identity. Yeah, I think uh, definitely while I was here, we, we searched for it for a long time and I don't think we ever got it while I was here, but you see it now and it's, it's pretty obvious. They, you know, no matter what they play a certain style of play, um, no matter the players that they have, they, they plug and play and, and keep it moving. So I think that's so important. If you look at the teams that have been successful in MLS, uh, let's go with like a Seattle Sounders. They have a, a pretty strong identity and that it's really important to, to have those things. If you look at, you know, even beyond MLS and the EPL or any kind of big team, they all have their identity and they all have a way that they want to play. Um, and that's so important to a club and, and building a club. And it's not always easy to get that in the, in the first couple of years that, of existence. So um, I think that they've, they're on good, good pace and a good track now. And they, they finally have something that they can, you know, uh, really look back on and say, this is who we are and this is, this is what makes us a success. So I think that they're, like I said, in a good spot and, Jim's done a, a good job of creating that um, with some with some moving pieces as Ernie moved on and and Ernst came in. So he's definitely done a great job to to ride the wave and, and to get to where he's at. 
I'm going to jump out of order here because that segues into something I had written down a little bit later. And um, one of the things that fascinates me is I'm curious as to whether guys like you and Amobi and Sebastian, like those originals who were here during the expansion year and, and, and the early days of the franchise, do you guys ever look back at that? Or do you look at the union now and see that the academy is humming, the stadium is packed, um, the, the processes are in place, they have a great training facility. Do you guys ever look back during your playing days and say like, man, you know, I wish we had that or, you know, things might have been different if we had that, if we were further along um, or do you just chalk it up to say, hey, it was an expansion team. Like, you know, it was always going to take time to kind of get get things going. Yeah. So I think it's kind of twofold for me. I think uh, for for any club, you have to go through those growing pains. And it was just kind of us that was in that situation and us going through those growing pains of not having practice facilities, not having a weight room, you know, not getting meals after, after practices and stuff. And you, you never got to see it, but those guys that were in that locker room during that time fought really hard for the stuff that, that the guys have now. So in one part, it's, you know, an honor to, to really try and, and help a club move along and move in the right direction and, and kind of put your, your imprint on something that's brand new. Uh, on the second side of things, I was actually doing, you know, a little bit of spring cleaning yesterday and came across, uh, an old team picture. And I looked at some of the guys on there and I didn't even know who they were <laughs> and I looked down in the, uh, in the bottom part. I was like, who is this? And it was, it was, um, Jill Berto, one of the, one of the young, <laughs> I remember. Yeah. 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 And I just looked at the team and, and how young it was. And I think that, you know, we had like two guys over the age of 26 and Brian Carroll and, and Chris Albright. Um, so, yeah, yeah. you know, that's, that's, those are the building blocks. Um, and, you know, it's an important step in, in any foundation for, for a team. And, you know, it's definitely, they've come out on the right side of it. They've, they've started to do things right. And you see that the results come on the field. So, um, I think the first step that they took right was was understanding what they had in the in the youth system here and the players that were coming through it. And I think that really jump started the rest of it, especially yeah. once they start to sell players and, and really make a profit off and they'll continue to make a profit off of it. I you know, I'm around uh, you know, the youth facility uh, a good amount, just just watching and and seeing what's what's coming up the pipeline and it's, 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 it's exciting. Um, you know, we had the Aronson brothers who yeah. I think are doing amazing right now. And I think the younger brother has the potential to be even, even better. Um, you know, so it's, it's exciting times. Um, and the fans should definitely be excited that no matter what, they're going to have good players coming through their, their system. The, the union do, you know, a top job of, of not only recruiting players, but, but then, you know, growing them in, into being good players. So, um, look for that to continue. And, and that really is, I think, jump-started their whole, their whole process and their whole success. So um, kudos to them for understanding what they have and, and really finding a niche that, that helps them succeed. I think it's important in, in an MLS league that you have some owners that have millions and millions of dollars at their disposal and some owners that don't. Yeah. Um, they found a way to be successful in a, in a way that they're not spending heaps and heaps of money like some of these other teams are. Yeah. I mean, to Jay's credit, he did exactly what he said he was going to do. You know, yeah. like we're going to build from within and we're going to do do this. And so I, I give him credit for it. You know, what's funny is like, you know, the phrase you have to, uh, oh, how does it go? You have to crawl before you learn to walk. Right. 
Well, I look at like you and Amobi and all those guys. Like you guys had to go to Chester Park in vans before you know everybody could walk to the practice facility. You know, so like in a way, it's like I I I look back at you guys like that group, and I feel like you like paved the way and like were kind of the original group that like you know set this foundation that had to be like built upon. You know, because it wouldn't like like you say you have to go through those growing pains. I mean, like there's more resources in MLS now, but no expansion team is coming right in with all this amazing stuff. Right? I mean, look at like Miami, who yeah. we thought like Beckham was going to come in with like Ronaldo and Messi on day one, you know, right? And now they're still trying to figure it out. It, it never works out that way. Um, you know, you you try to do what's best and and without actually seeing something. Like you've never stepped foot on a field or or into an office and you're trying to build something from scratch, and it's it's really hard. Um, and the teams that are successful, like, like, let's say like in Atlanta, they spent a ton of money um, to do that. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, but they knew what it was going to take for them to hit the ground running and they were willing to spend it. So um, it's just uh, a different way of doing things when you have a different owner. Um, Jay's yeah. done it in a way, which, you know, like I said, Jay, Jay is, has done a great job. But at the same time, Jay didn't grow up playing soccer. Yeah. Jay's pretty this whole world. So I think he's done a good job of kind of hiring people and trusting the people that you hire to, to make some good decisions. And, you know, sometimes the, you know, the people that you hire aren't the right people and he's, he's gotten rid of those guys and gotten guys in that, that know what they're doing and are doing a great job. So, um, you know, there's good and bad with, with everybody. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, one thing I just wanted to go over your uni career a little bit, but I wanted to actually back into it and kind of like reverse order because I don't know, you're not that old, man, right? You're still like 32, 33. Yep, 32. So you could still be playing and I'm just wondering, um, you know, what made you want to call it quits? And I think you did correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you trialed with DC, um, after LA. And, um, I'm just wondering like what made, what, how you came to the decision to, to stop playing. And if you, if you felt like you could have kept playing. Yeah, I think for me, uh, it got to a, a point where, you know, I was only getting one year deals moving from from place to place. Um, you know, I had a young family at the time and I just got tired of it. Um, you know, I, I've been moving around since I was 15 years old. So um, I had gotten to a point in my career where I was happy with um, with where I was at. Uh, I played in. 200 games, um, you know, and I got to do something that was a, definitely a childhood dream of mine. Um, and I had a ton of good experiences, but um, at the end of the day, I, I looked at my life and what was important to me and, you know, decided that I wanted to be close to, to my family. So um, I kind of just, just decided at that point that I would, that I would stop playing. Uh, and I think for anybody that retires, uh, you just have to do it when, when you're ready. And, for me, I know that I can still play. Um, you know, that's that's definitely not a question. Uh, it's just you know I, I have other things in my life that are that are more important. Um, I have a Shane and Williams hot take that I want to <laughs> share with you. This is something that and so like for a little bit of background here, like I was working for the team from 2010 to 2014, I think it was right. So when you're in that that lens of media, like it's not that you're like super favorable to the union or whatever, but you just got to be careful. Like I can't come out on the website and say Seattle is shit. And I'm going to tell you why, right? Like you got to like, like button it up. Right. You know? So, but um, you know, that 2013 season, I would have put you on the all-star team. Um, yeah. And here's, here's, here's the thing. Here's the background. I think people probably remember this, but that was Deandre Yedlin's first year in the league. Uh, Cause he had come up through the Seattle youth pipeline 
And MLS at the time was kind of moving a little bit away from the kind of like the aging veteran superstar kind of guys. And they wanted to like push market their young players for sure. And they, they gave DeAndre this big push. And I think Garber picked him to be on the all-star team that year. But, you know, I watched all those games, man. I watched every game you played and I watched most of the games that he played in. I was like, you know, obviously DeAndre went on to have a great career and we all knew it at that time. But like you had two goals that year, you had eight assists. I think that was probably, I don't know if you agree, but I think that was probably your best career uh, year for the union, but I would, I would have put you right up there, man. I, th- I thought you were really, really good that year. And I look at back at the roster today. I think Tony Beltran was the starting right back there, but like, honest to God, man, I- I'm not, that's, uh, that's, this is me being honest. Like I would have put you on that team. I'll be completely honest here. I'll give you my, my thought process that year. I said, this is the best year I'm going to have. So if I, and I put everything I had into that year and I was like, I'm going to be an all-star. And when I didn't get picked, I, I was confused. And I was like, well, if I, if I'm going to have two goals and eight assists and, and for a good por- portion of the season, lead the league in assists yeah. and not picked, uh, then this, you know, this isn't, this was not, this wasn't meant to be. Yeah. Um, funny story too. I think it was in around that timeline. Um, we were actually doing pretty well and three players had gotten picked uh, to represent the national team for Bob Bradley. Uh, it was me, Gabe Farfan, and uh, Brian Carroll. Mm-hmm. Uh, literally, I think less than 24 hours, Bob Bradley got fired. Uh, yeah. And Lindsman took over and had just scrapped the whole roster. Um, so that was an opportunity that kind of went out the window. Um, and then, you know, once Jurgen came in, they went for this strictly European-based players. Uh, you know, mentality. And I think that that definitely played on me as well. And just being like, well, you know, if I'm not in Europe, that means that there's no national team shots because that's, that's really the trends that that was going on. Um, so it just kind of just happened to be some bad luck, which, you know, happens. And I, and I fought through it and I came out on the other side, but it's, it's funny that you mentioned that because I definitely <laughs> remember, um, and I remember being like, yeah, this is, this is unbelievable that, you know, this is going to happen in this way um, for me to have a, a good season and, and for me to be doing well. And, you know, that was definitely a goal that I had written down that year and I didn't accomplish it. So um, I'm not sour about it because obviously, you know, those are two great players that have done really good things. But definitely, you know, I was upset uh, as anybody that's competitive would be. So, um, you know, definitely uh, a year that I remember. Um, I made some good bonuses that year, so <laughs> I, got, I at least got something to take home uh, yeah. for my efforts. <laughs> um, so uh, you know, I'll take that. But doesn't it? it it's funny because it kind of reminds me. We were talking about the Embiid Joel Embiid MVP thing this year, and like your story is kind of similar to that in the way that like the margins are so small, and I think a lot of people don't realize that for professional athletes and coaches, like the the there's there's so many like little pieces of luck and, and things you can't control that are out of your hands, you know, like, you know, you could have the greatest season ever. And what if somebody else has their greatest season ever, you know, and like, you're the top two right fullbacks in MLS, but being the second best or the third best right fullback at MLS out of like 50 some people, that's a, that's like a nice honor, you know, but and you can't control like who's coaching the national team or whatever. So yeah, you know, man. it's 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 I mean, like these really thin margins, you know, crazy fortunes that like he literally put out a roster and then got fired that day. It was it was crazy because I got to, you know, I think I still have the letter somewhere and I showed my mom and they were all excited because the game was actually it was against Mexico in Philadelphia. Oh, so man. It was, you know, a really cool experience or whatnot. Um, 
and it just didn't happen. Uh, but everybody's competitive. So, you know, when you, when you start a season, you want to have the best season that you can have. And definitely, you know, Joel and Joel Embiid uh, had a great season and is, is not going to, it looks like pick up the MVP. So like I said, you got to gear up and go again and, and try to try to replicate that. But it's, it's not easy, uh, especially in team sports. Um, you know, that year uh, I had a lot of good, you know, forwards, Connor Casey and that bald head, I think might have <laughs> a couple of, uh, at the near post. And, you know, we even, yeah. I think, you know, Aaron Wheeler chipped in some goals that year. So yeah. um, it's just sometimes, you know, you, the forwards are, are in good form and you're, you're getting the feed off that and sometimes they're not. So, um, you know, I always try, try to put myself in good positions to, to attack and, and give opportunities to, to the guys up front. Um, you know, and I played with some good ones, especially in Philly uh, and, and also in some other places. Uh, I don't know why this is, but Zoom tells me I have nine minutes left. I thought it was unlimited when you only had two people, but there we go. At least we have a timer now and I won't, I won't keep you forever. Um, wow. Memories from, from your time in, in Philly. I, you know, I, I love the 2011 team. I talk about the 2011 team all the time on this podcast because I think, you know, for me, it was like that was the first really good union team, the first playoff team. Carlos was great that year. Danny was great that year. You were great. Jordan for the first half of the season. Um, that's my first thought. I really loved watching that team. And I, I honestly, God, I liked the 2013 team as well. I thought, you know, when, when Hack came in, giving license to some of the young guys and kind of letting them play free and, you know, handing the reins over to some of the other guys on the roster. And, um, you know, you guys were in it until the very end. I think you finished 12, 12 and 10 or something like that. But um, I focus on those two teams the most. I think when you look at like the OG union teams or whatever, um, you know, when you, when you look back at that era, what do you, what do you think? 2011 team, I think definitely could have won something. Um, I think the turning point for us in that season is when we lost Carlos Ruiz and it kind of changed our style of play. His hold up play so important to us and when he left um not no knock on Seba and Danny Mwanga but they're not the the player that Carlos Ruiz was in, in holding up the ball and how strong he was no and, and just for some quick context I don't mean to cut you off but just for some quick context here because you guys were playing I think two strikers like at the beginning of that season and yeah. then like Peter shifted and I think I remember seeing a little bit more like four five one there for some time where where yeah. Mike Farfan came in and then Velco was signed and I think you kind of were running like a like a five-man midfield for a little bit yeah, it just like really changed the way we played and it and it didn't it it kind of hurt us especially, you know, once we were having the success in the style that we were playing to then kind of go and change that mid-season so drastically. Um I think really hurt us. So that was definitely uh a, an opportunity wasted I think that year. Um you know, once you get into the playoffs, you never know, you know, what can happen and I think that if that team had stuck together um in its entirety and even leave, losing jo- Jordan Harvey, I think Gabe came in and did a great job but you know, Gabe wasn't naturally left-footed. Uh, no, no. That 2013 season, I don't think Hackworth will ever get enough credit for. Uh, you know, without going into too much details, uh, he wasn't really, you know, who did we sign that year? You know, like, he, he didn't get much uh, help. Jeff in Park? That. Yeah. yeah. And he didn't get much help in that, that standpoint, and we were competitive in every game. Um, I think we were in every game except for maybe one or two. Yeah. Um, that just might not have been our days, but to take that young of a team and to, to have uh, that success, I thought was definitely, you know, at the time, the good building blocks. Um, and then unfortunately we just, like I said, he just never got the help. Um, I think from the front office at that, at that point in time, 
um, to really build out that roster to see what it could could have become. Yeah, I, that was weird too because, and I don't have enough time to go into all this. It's probably like a separate podcast on its own. But you know, Diego Gutierrez was there for a little bit. Peter was doing whatever he was doing with the transfer. So I think the big storylines yeah. of 2013 were Freddie Adu and making the swap with Cleberson. Um, you know, Jeff Park came in as well. Um, but it was kind of like a weird situation. It was like a stabilization uh, period, you know. So it's like, hey, let's like let's fix all this shit, right? And then you know, we can't give you all these reinforcements. But Jeff was a good defender that year for the one year he was there. And uh, yep. otherwise what hack did was just kind of like elevate guys from within and got, got a lot out of it. I remember that the like, second game of the year, like I think like you guys went out to Colorado and it was like snow piled up or whatever, but like a Moby yep. scored and Jack scored and you guys like won like two in a row or something. Exactly. Uh, the, it was actually a snowstorm game that had gotten uh, snowed out and then we ended up having to play the next day or whatnot. But like I said, we were really competitive with the roster that we had, and it was a roster that was our, of guys that was already on the on the team. Yeah, uh, you know, we added I think in his time Chaco and Vince, who are two of I think the union's better players all time. Yeah, I loved uh, watching those guys play, man. Love they were amazing. Yeah, Chaco the one year had twenty assists, and Vince was Vince was unbelievable. Um, yeah. So. Those are two good teams that I like. I said just never got to be completed by by hack. Um, and then Jim did a good job of, of steadying the ship and, you know, talk about good memories. The U.S. Open Cup uh, it was a great experience for a young team um, in our home stadium. Uh, we were so close. Yeah. Uh, we, uh, you know, fine margins and Vince hitting the post and then us, you know, conceding a goal. So I can still picture that in my head, man. I can make I see the motion in my head of him jumping up and try like because the ball hopped up at a weird height and he kind of did like an awkward scissor. Like he wasn't sure if he had time to wait for it to come down. So he went up and kind of like scissor half volleyed it or something right off the post. I, I can like it's like burned into my memory, man. And that, and that right there, that's the game. So uh, like I said, it's it's, uh, you know, a lot of things you know, go your way and a lot of things don't go your way. So um, you take the good and the bad and, you know, and you see what, what, what you come out with. Zoom tells me I have four minutes here, plenty of time. What kind of operation am I running here? Um, <laughs> do you have a favorite goal or favorite assist? My favorite uh, Shane and Williams union goal was the, uh, the flick on from, I think it was Brian Carroll. Then you had kind of the, like the acrobatic something or other at the, at the far post there. That was that was a good one. Uh, that's definitely one of my favorites. You know, now that I'm coaching, that's usually the highlight that comes up the most with the with the kids. So they oh, yeah. they, they like. <laughs> um, Is that uh, weird having them like Google you and show you highlights of your playing? Uh, they, they always are googling, and for the most part, like because soccer is not as big as maybe some other places. Like they might not know that I actually played for like the first month or so. Until like one of them like will bring it up or a coach will say something, and then all of a sudden the googling starts. Um, and then favorite assist, I think it was a Columbus game. Um, it was CJ Sapong played me down the line, and then I think I touched it around one of their defenders, ran in, and then squared it for Seba. Um, and it was just uh, definitely one of the, my favorite moments. Uh, that yeah. place used used to get buzzing. Um, Definitely had some some really fun memories uh, in that stadium, and even when I go there now, I wish I could you know jump on the field and kick around a little bit. You know? <laughs> I know, I know. I, I'm 37 years old, and I still go out and try to play. I'll, I'll keep trying to play until my legs fall off. Because if I go like two weeks at a time without playing, I get really like antsy and itchy, and my wife gets annoyed with me, and she's like, "Just go, go play." Go to YSC, go play like a Friday game or something, you know? So that's what helps with the coaching. I have 15 and 16 year old boys, so I from now on. 
now and then I jump in and, and run around for a little bit, which, which helps uh, not want to, it ease the, eases the itch of playing for me. Uh, yeah. Just get around and, and get a sweat. So uh, it's been fun, you know, going into the coaching world and seeing that side of things. Uh, Cause when you're a player, you just kind of get to practice and you're like, all right, what are we doing? But yeah. the, has to put together everything and, and make sure that things are humming. So it's been a good learning process for me as I, as I start it. Uh, one minute 45 here, final question for you. What do you, what do you want to do? Do you, do you like broadcasting? Do you want to expand broadcasting? Do you want to expand on your coaching? What's kind of like the, uh, the, the two or three year plan here? I definitely really am focused on my coaching. I think it's something that I really enjoy. Um, I enjoy working with, uh, with the kids and I think it's something that I would want to do long-term the broadcasting has also been fun. It's been nice to, to, like I said, get to work on that side of things for myself and see where it takes me. Um, you know, if something were to come about in the broadcasting side of things, I definitely would, would consider it and take it seriously. Like you said, there's so many, you know, ex players that are doing such a good job and, and are having so much fun with it. So it's definitely something that I'm, you know, excited to continue to, to learn and, and grow in. Shane, thanks for your time, man. I appreciate it. Uh, if we do this again sometime, I'll figure out Zoom so I'm not running some fugazi operation here. But I would just like to say I, I, I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate you always being available in the locker room and always always you know giving us quotes and whatnot. So uh, I'll have to bump into you down at the stadium uh, one of these days. Yeah, man. I think I'm broadcasting later on this month at some point. So if you're around, uh, definitely come in and say hello. Absolutely. Shane and Williams, everybody, thanks for coming on. Yeah, and we'll man. talk to you soon, man. All right, we're going to get to your questions and comments and concerns momentarily. But first, I want to address the Negadelphia about the Orlando result and uh, the L.A. result. Well, I mean, we already talked about the L.A. and the you know the regular season stuff, the MLS play uh, with Shannon. But the Open Cup, like, I got to be honest with you guys. Like, I don't give a shit about the Open Cup. I really don't. Not this year. I think in years past when the team was crap and we knew they weren't going to make the playoffs or they weren't going to be a cup contender if they did make the playoffs, we looked at the USOC as kind of like, oh, here's a chance to win something. You know, here's a chance to make this whole, you know, dog and pony show worth it. You know, maybe we can rip off four wins in a row or five wins in a row and get to the cup final and do it. You know, so in 2014, 2015, 2018, you know, I felt different about the Open Cup. Last night I watched that game. I was like, yeah, whatever. You know, now they can focus on on the – uh you know the domestic campaign as they say right so i don't i'm not really worried about that at all i i i also think there's an element of uh of uh you know you can't have it both ways kind of going on here so what i'm what i mean by that is you know a lot of people are bitching and moaning because we're not seeing enough of the young guys i was one of those guys for sure so you can lump me in with that like we're not seeing enough of paxton we're not seeing enough of quinn sullivan give me jack mcglynn right okay well we got all that you know and they lost anyway so i'm not like it's, there's a greater story to be told here about Jim Curtin's squad rotation or lack thereof or selections or whatever, but I didn't look at that game last night and, and feel one way or another. I was like, all right, you know, it's a tough draw going down to Orlando after having to play at LAFC, having to play at Nashville, like four or five on the road, whatever. It is what it is. So I didn't really think uh, too, too, too much of it, you know, and it was kind of weird because I was, you know, doing uh, making dinner and putting the girls to, to bed and all that stuff before the Sixers game and trying to like watching on my phone, carrying my phone around or whatever, but I didn't feel like I was like uh, attached to it one way or another. Um, so let me see what you guys have for me. Biggest surprise. Uh, this is from Jared. Biggest surprise and biggest disappointment so far this season. He's going to go with Harriel's development as the best surprise. Um, but he says it's also his disappointment because I loved watching him last year. Um, 
Biggest surprise for me, I think, is Daniel Gajdog. Not because I didn't expect him to be bad, but I didn't expect him to be this good. So he's really turned the corner for sure. And biggest disappointment's very easy to me. It's it's uh, it's Ua, you know. And I, I know that you're putting an asterisk on it because he's been injured and he had the visa shit and time to settle. But you're a bunch of games into the season now, and he's scored one goal. So when you put that into a vacuum, it is what it is, you know. Uh, Matt Thornton. A mediocre bad guy who who provided the name for this podcast has a list here. He says the positives from last night were Paxton's involvement, Flock's uh, Flock playing the six in the Christmas tree, uh, Stuart Finley not looking out of depth, and the negatives he said were Paxton's physicality, little involvement from McGlynn or Sullivan. It was Corey Burke's worst game. Uh, yeah, positive. Paxton's movement is good. His involvement is there. You know. Um, it's a little tough for him, I think, because, you know, in the system, he'd be playing as a 10, but you have Gaj Dog there. You know, when his brother came through, uh, he was top of the depth chart at the number 10. So there's a little bit of a log jam there that has to clear for him. You know, you're not going to drop Karanzer. Uh, you're not going to drop Ua if he's available. So, you know, if you're looking at an option of playing like Paxton as like a second striker or a number two striker with, uh, you know, Gaj Dog as the 10, I don't know if that's feasible. I don't know if it's viable. Um, Flock, yeah, I thought he looked fine in the Christmas tree. You know, on the first goal, though, or was it the second goal? I think it was the first goal. There was a miscommunication there, I think, with McGlynn, and they both got skinned, and so Matt Real had to step up and try to address the ball carry, and then, the, and then there was a wide-open winger on that side, so they kind of fluffed that a little bit, but it's to be expected when you're playing Christmas tree for the first time this year. And you have a bunch of guys on the field who haven't been playing much this year, especially not playing with each other. So I guess, you know, it is what it is in that. Stuart Finley, I mean, I thought he looked fine. He got the goal, right? Um, he wasn't at fault for either one of the goals. Um, not that I recall. No, he wasn't. And look, you know, that one where he slides and he pokes the ball out of there, you know, it rolls to an Orlando guy and, uh, you know, he hits a cracker back in. There's nothing much else you can do with it. Actually, Glessness on that goal got wrong-sided on a ball that was kind of floating in there and allowed the ball to be to be held up and so I'd put the error more on him for that one for sure. Finley was just trying to clean up um a Glessness mistake there for sure. But uh I think the thing with Stuart Finley is that he looks kinda awkward at times, you know. Um I don't know if you, you guys agree with me on this or not, but I feel like uh Stuart Finley's got a little bit of Warren Craval in him where when the ball's coming to him or he's on it, he looks a little like um uncomfortable a little awkward like the movements are not smooth the movements are not fluid but uh more often than not he'll make the right pass or find the right guy i remember there was a weird ball that came back in where jack mcglynn played like this like 40 yard diagonal backwards trying to hit like a switch and like finley had to like bring it down and and control it and get and get rid of it and he did that so i think he's he's serviceable for sure i just think it's hard to say because we haven't haven't seen uh too much of him, you know. Um, what else is written here? Yeah, Paxton's not a big guy. He's not going to be physical. McGlynn's not going to be physical. I'll say this about McGlynn. Um, I think I've said this before, but I don't think he's a four-four-two diamond guy, you know. And I think when they had some good moments with him last year is when they were playing out of the Christmas tree, right? So it's not surprising to me to see that he starts in the Christmas tree last night, you know, Tuesday night. And um, – yeah, to me, he just looks like a prototypical number eight in like a uh, like a like a four two three one or something like that. You know, if you imagine him in like the Vince Nogueira role or the Xabi Alonso role, where you got like a bulldog number six behind him, and then he can just kind of like you know get in the way defensively, but spray passes back back and forth and 
ping the ball around, um, you know, with a with a line of three in front of him. I think that's probably what he's built for. So it's a little weird because I don't I don't think that what what I don't think he's necessarily totally built for what they do, you know. And Corey Burke, yeah, struggled wasn't his best game either. A lot of running around without any kind of end product, you know. Um, I don't think I have much to add on that that you guys didn't already talk about on Twitter, you know. Uh, here's a good question from Aiden. Um, if you could change the outcome of one game through the union's history, which one and why? I, I go back to, uh, what Shane and I were talking about earlier, us open cup 2014 for sure, man, get that first trophy would have been amazing. Maybe it changes the fortunes of the franchise. I don't know. Maybe Nick Sakevich sticks around who the hell knows, <laughs> you know, um, it would have been nice, to, nice to see for sure. You know, get that piece of hardware in there and maybe it's just like, you know, the malaise of then 2015 through 2017 isn't really what it is. You know, maybe it helps the union get on the scene in Philadelphia earlier. You know, maybe they get some respect earlier. And, and for people like me in the media, we can sell that shit. You know, hey, they won a trophy. Yeah, so I would do that. Or go back and, you know, do the semifinals of the playoffs last year with the 11 guys being out. You know, that's an easy one to pick for sure. Philadelphia Union in a MLS Cup final, you know. Um, a couple like transfer window ish kind of stuff here. Uh, fear and loathing in Chester. What do you think the union ceiling is if Wagner leaves uh, on a transfer midseason and Real has to step in? I mean, it's it's not a slight about about Matt, but I think Kai is just that good that it's going to look a lot different there for sure. You could downgrade to anybody, and it would, or you could go go to anybody, and it would look like a downgrade for sure. Um. Uh, Klein says, uh, do you see Mbizo asking for a move to increase his Cameroon World Cup squad chances? Yeah, I mean, I could see that. I could see a trade within MLS. Can they do trades within the year? Um, yeah, they can. Um, maybe he goes to a Western Conference team or something like that. You know, I'm not sure. But then behind Harriel, who who is there? You know, like the Union have to have aren't going to move Mbizo without a, without a backup right back plan too, you know? So I think that's the other thing here. You know, they finally have that's that's the problem with depth. You know, is that when you have guys who are worth playing or if they wanna go play somewhere else if they're not playing here. So it's a balancing act of trying to trying to make it all work and keep everybody happy. This is from Alex. Um, he said Paxton looked legit last night. Burke and Santos just don't have the skill or savvy to play with this team. Um Yeah, I agree. I you know, with Sergio and, and Corey, there's a lot of like um you know, it's like jamming the square peg in the round hole, direct, like runs, aerial wins, route one kind of, I'm just going to like run you over, you know. It's not a lot of finesse with them. And you look at uh, Julian Carranzer, um in the L.A. game, has an amazing secondary assist coming off like a Christian Pulisic-looking type of run. And then he has the brilliant left-footed curler for the goal, you know. Um, as a quick A-side, he was ball-watching on the equalizer, but that's all right. He's a striker. Like, what do you want, you know? He set up – he scored one goal and set up another one. So it's what, – what more do you want from him? But, you know, what – do you see Corey Burke or Sergio Santos doing any one of those things on offense that Carranzer was doing? They're not hitting like that one, you know, one touch to settle, turn around, left-footed curler or right-footed curler for that matter either. You know, they're not, you know, dribbling three guys and then playing a nice ball out, out wide to Kai Wagner for an assist like Sergio and Corey just aren't doing that, you know. So I think that's why you got to hold hold on to hope that, that, that Ua and Carranzer becomes a stable and consistent pair because you're going to need some quality up there, you know. Uh, 
those two with Gaj Dog can win you can can get you back to the to the semifinals of the playoffs for sure. Uh, Aiden says odds for McGlynn in the featherweight uh, UFC title. Uh, very little. Volkanovski would have his way. Um, Chris says, do you think they should have started with a stronger lineup last night? Also, why was the stadium so empty? I don't know. It's hard for me to say because I think that they just don't care about the Open Cup this year. I think they think that, I think they think that they're a title contender, you know? Um, and there hasn't been a lot of squad, you know, movement, a lot of change in the starting lineup. Maybe they just got caught in a thing where it's like, all right, here's an opportunity to play some guys. But you know, it was it wasn't the Rochester Rhinos, you know, it wasn't the Harrisburg City Islanders or whatever they're called now, Penn FC, right? It wasn't the New York Cosmos, you know, it wasn't uh, DC United at, at the Boyd's uh, Soccer Plex, right? You know, you got to get on a plane and go to go to Florida, so. So I don't know. Um, this is from Matt. Um, we need one of our three young midfielders to level up the way Brendan did to reach our ceiling. It looks like Paxton's skills are the closest, but McGlynn at times seems to lack the physicality or speed needed to be that difference maker. Um, I, I agree, and that goes that goes kind of back to the point that I was making of him not really being a guy for this system. Like he's not he's a finesse player with a good left foot. He is very slow. Um, and so you're not going to really count on him to like cluster press or to be able to read a cue and like, like be the second or third guy up on, on somebody's back or to try to jar the ball loose and go direct. I mean, he's more of a, like when I watch him play, he's more of a, like a traditional, let's get on the ball and, and knock it around kind of player. So I'm interested to see how that affects him developmentally. You know, if they try to not shoehorn him, but if they try to like work him into the system or if they try to like, you know, use him in Christmas tree or other formations, or if they come up with a, with a backup, uh, you know, like a plan B option, like they did with El Sino in years past. Um, oh, this is union Hulk checking in. Um, now listen, you're not going to believe it, but this is in all caps. This tweet, he says, uh, can we promise to never talk about that squeaky fart in an elevator? That was the U S open cup game. What the fuck did we just not care about that game? Uh, fucking Tony Orlando played Pato and Dupe rolled in the bench. What the fuck, Kevin Dino? What the fuck? Uh, I don't know either, but like I said, man, I don't, I don't care. I just, I, I don't, man. You know, I'm sorry. I mean, maybe I should care, but I, I just, I just don't, I don't give a fuck about the Open Cup this year. You know, I just, I just don't, you know, um, that's kind of like a conversation I have with my three-year-old, you know. I say, why don't you want to wear your socks? She says, because I don't want to wear them. You know, it's not an explanation, but she just, you know, she doesn't want to wear the socks. So, uh, Jim C. says, prediction time will or be the next uh, Maurice Adu. <laughs> oh, God. Um, he says, yes, it's unfair to judge this early, but he's been out with a couple injuries already. I, I you know, I don't think it's, no. I mean, he's, he doesn't have a, like a... Uh, you know, a shins, uh, it wasn't a shin splint. It was a, it was a, it was a stress fracture that then became, yeah, it, Maurice's thing was like a, like a Markel Fulton, Ben Simmons and Joel and bead kind of thing. It was like thoracic outlet syndrome wrapped into the L4 lumbar, like wrapped into the navicular and presented, uh, to you, the fan on a shit platter, you know? So, uh, 
I have like a whole two page email from somebody on the union staff, like explaining to me like what exactly happened with Maurice. Because I think at the time I was reporting that he, uh, the injury happened when he was away from the team, which which is true, but it wasn't like, it wasn't like the team's fault or whatever. If you know what I mean, I don't have it in front of me now, but that email is saved somewhere. I don't think the person who sent it to me would care if I read it uh, publicly at this point. I don't know if he's even with the team anymore. But remind me for the next podcast. I mean, I can go back and look at the Maurice do email and read exactly like what it said or give you the gist of that because it explained his off season like program and what the deal is like working with other people outside of the team or tr- like training on your own. You know, so uh, to answer the question, no. Um. Trey says, who do you think will end up being the leading goal scorer for the U this season? Um, I think it'll be Karanzer. Uh, he says, also, what was your favorite and least favorite part of playing in the Casa League? Shout out, Fishtown FC. Oh, favorite and least favorite um, part of Casa? Well, I think my least favorite was playing on, like, the uh, – um, just shit fields, you know, for a while. You know, we played in Northeast Philly for a while. Um you know, Parkwood, like you get a gust of wind, and not Parkwood. It was uh, the one behind the prison up there on the river, the one on the river, where if you get like a gust of wind, the ball would roll all the way into the river. You know, you'd have to chase it like 50 yards or whatever. Or just going around all the different turf fields and like killing your knees, like playing in South Philly and playing at Chestnut Hill Academy and what. I mean, it was tough because I don't know what you want them to do. It's not like there's a uh, abundance of beautiful grass fields in in Philly, but you know, maybe having to go to Northeast Philly and play at every shithole in Northeast Philly for 10 years, uh, perhaps that's the thing. My favorite thing was just like being able to play at a, play at a high level, you know, um, you know, the, uh, picture that I have on, on my, uh, Twitter banner that was from uh, 2015 South Philly FC. I was getting old at that point. I was already like, I, I was in my thirties at that point. So I was like a bench guy, backup kind of utility knife on that team, you know, but, uh, you know, that team had a bunch of, had two former pros It had Thorne Holder who played for the union was our goalkeeper. There was a guy who played for the ocean city nor'easters against the union in the, in the, uh, open cup that one year, he was on that Casa team and we had a bunch of guys from Widener University too. So there was like I was like playing with former college guys and former pros, and like a, there was a USL guy there too. So you know, I always told myself like because I stopped playing after high school, I didn't I didn't play in college, you know. Um, but I always thought that was cool about Casa was that like you know you have like former pros, former college guys, former like you know really good amateur players. So like the quality at the top was was really damn good, you know. So it was nice to. Be able to at least like think you could you could hang with those guys or at least play ninety minutes with them. You know, it's like a nice like just uh, I don't know like like confidence boost or something to think like hey I didn't play past Boyertown you know um, but you know now I'm able to at least hold my own playing against um, you know former college guys and some you know former like USL guys you know so so that was cool. Um, let me see here um, what. Uh, Amish Terp says, please get Burke out of my life, please. Uh, Brian says, is there really nobody in the academy better than Burke? Yeah, <laughs> People are down on Corey after last night, for sure. Um, and uh, Sully, I'll leave it on this one. Sully says, uh, what's it going to take to right the ship? Uh, the last month has been awful. Uh, oh, two and three. Consecutive blown leads after 80. Uh, waving the white flag in the USOC a day before you play. How have we bottomed out? Uh, thoroughly so fast. Uh, to, to Sully, I would say, not so fast, my friends. 
as uh, Lee Corsa once said, you know, I, I, I don't think there any that's anything close to to bottoming out. I think I think in what he says there, I think the most the one thing that we didn't talk about was them conceding the late goals. You know, two blown leads after eighty. Carranza fell asleep uh, on the set piece that Andre spilled, which is just you know he's trying to push that wherever he can. He's just trying to get a hand on it. So that was disappointing. The Nashville one, it's like. I don't know. What what can you say? Like they were pushing, there's like a goofy penalty. You know, they probably got lucky that there wasn't another penalty called and I think if you told me at the beginning of of either one of those games that they would go to Nashville in their new stadium and go to LAFC and they get a point out of each of those against playoff teams, top, you know, three teams from either league, uh, at least last year, I would have been ha- more than happy with that from the beginning. You know, it doesn't mean we can't move the goalposts to say, "Hey, they could have got more out of those games," but I'm not super worried about it. You know, like Shannon said, they're taking points along the way. They're still first place in the Eastern Conference. Uh, in a way, I'm happy that people feel so strongly about the union and have such high expectations for them that they're going to do some justified negadelphia. But I'm, I'm, the funny thing is that I'm usually, you guys say, like, I'm the snarky, sarcastic, like, sardonic one, you know, right? It's like me and Matt to George, you know, we're like the, the, when somebody did the Dungeons and Dragons thing with all the media members, like, we were like chaotic evil. <laughs> you know, on the thing. And like, here I am saying like, Hey, I think it's good. I think the Negadelphia is dumb. I'm like fine with where they are. You know, I don't give a shit about the open cup. So it's a rare occasion where I'm, uh, I'm positive and everybody's negative, uh, negative, Negadelphia. So I almost said Megadeth there. So it tells you what, uh, I'm about to do. Make some lunch and listen to thrash. All right. It's, it's no Negadelphia. It's positive. Everybody. All right. See ya.